Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're marching right along, moving right along in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. There we go. We looked last time. I guess I should turn there too. We looked last time at uh, the last part of chapter 3 where it talked about, you know, that Jesus came from above and that he is, you know, above all. He came from heaven. He's God, came down to earth, God, Emmanuel, God with us. And it said that, that he testifies to what he has seen and heard. So what he saw in heaven, what he heard in heaven, what he saw of the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that, that what was happening. So he came and he, he was able to tell us about that and testify about heaven and, and about the Father. And it also says that the Father has placed everything in his hands. And then I want you to just to read with me verse 36 of chapter 3. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So everything has been placed into his hands. It's all got to do with Jesus. And, you know, the, the, there's only two options. You have the Son or you don't have the Son of God. And, and, and so the, I ask the question, then I'm going to just, you know, ask it again. Do you have the Son of God in your life? I hope you do. I know most of you. Uh, do you have made that decision to trust in in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and that He has He has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? He's changed your life, and He's still changing. I think it's a it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Just want to see if you're listening to me here. It's an ongoing thing. He's changed my life, but He's still changing my life too. He took me out of darkness and brought me into light, but he's also still kind of reforming and, and changing me. The, the, uh, the Bible people call that sanctification where he's making us more and more like Jesus. But he's justified us. That's another word, justification. That means he's, he's, he's already taken us out. We're already in the kingdom of, of heaven. We're in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus did and by believing in him. But there's still that process. So it's, it's like a... Something that's already done, but also something that's taking place and being done. I don't know if you follow all that. Anyways, today <clears throat> I want to talk about, what is that? That looks like water to me. It's kind of a cool drop, though. How did they catch that? I, I don't know. I want to talk about water and the necessity of water, right? Uh, hold on, i got to get me some water here. Now... You know, the whole idea is to make you as thirsty as possible. And so, um, just one minute here. I always get very thirsty. Water is absolutely essential for life, isn't it? Yes. Now, does anybody know our bodies are made up in large part of water? Does anybody know what the percentage of our bodies is? I mean, I found out from Google. Now, was it right or not? I don't know. But, but what I read there, it's 60%. Wow. 
Now, the earth, though, on the other hand, is covered with water, is about 70%. It's like 71%, according to what I read. That's a lot, right? The earth, so the earth, you see this picture? There's like the picture from, from beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, as we'll see. There's this concept of water. Right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you know, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And, and it, was, it was all this, you know, all the things that were taking place there in, in the days of creation. How long can you live without water? Four to seven days. Depending on, depending on how strong you are, depending on how hot it is, four to seven days you can live without water. That's not very long. Do you get enough water? I know I don't. I don't drink enough water. I get it. Hold on. Mm. The idea is every time I say the word, I won't say it because if I say it, I have to take another drink. <coughs> and then I might have problems. The idea is we need water. We need... Oh, <laughs> We need a lot of that. And I don't get enough. You're supposed to have what? Like five, eight glasses a day? And like, I'm lucky if I get two. Serious. And so I got to like force myself and really kind of, you know, because it helps you in so many different ways. It's so, it's so, such a big part of every part of the, of your functioning of your, of your body. So are any of you thirsty? You, I'll share with you if you. So, so there is there is a physical thirst, right? And that's kind of what I've been talking about. But there's also a spiritual thirst. There's a, a physical thirst and there's a spiritual thirst. And and John chapter four, which is what we're looking at today, really talks about a woman and Jesus and a woman who has both. She has a physical thirst, but she also has a spiritual thirst. She's not quite aware of the spiritual thirst, not quite at least understanding of it and aware of what that means, but we'll see, as we're, and it's going to take a few weeks to go through this whole section. We're going to look at the first 14 verses today, but we'll see that, that, that she, she has this thirst and Jesus is the, the one who can help her with it. Let's look at, at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. So they were baptizing and the Pharisees now, are you know, they're having a problem with it. Jesus said, you know, I've had enough of this envy. And we talked about envy, the disciples of John the Baptist and and the Jews and now the Pharisees just talking about the they embrace. You know, you can read that the actual reason that the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders, they had Jesus killed and crucified was because of envy. Because of envy, it says that. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about here today, but that's part of it. But, 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 but even in these, these three verses here, there's a common factor with 
what follows in that factor is what? Water. Oh, sorry. Water, right? Now it says that, let's, let's look and see what happens after that, though. In verse 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. That's Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So it says there that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he was there in Judea, right? And it says in the, the last part of verse 3, he went back once more to Galilee. So he was leaving Judea to go to Galilee. i got a little map for you just so you get a picture of what that looks like. Oops. And, and uh, so this is the nation, the country of Israel, right? Uh, Judea was in the south, and they were down in here somewhere. Sychar was here, Jacob's well was here, Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, and the Sea of Galilee here. So he was going to go from down here up here. But to get there, the most direct route was straight through Samaria, right? And Samaria is the, the, the middle part here, this, the middle portion in there. Now, so, so the most direct route would be to go straight through. And it's kind of still that way today. But, but most Jews would not go that way. They would go around it. They would go over this way and cross over the Jordan River. This is the Jordan River here. It's hard to see on this picture. Cross over the Jordan River, go up north, and then cross back into Galilee they would not go that way. Why is that? John Corson says this, good Jews would never go that way. They would cross the Jordan and go up. And, and the history of it is this. In 722, right? 722 BC, the Assyrians, they came in and they invaded the north, the 10 tribes of Israel. Yet Israel was at that time the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So, but the Assyrians came in, 722, they invaded, and they took most of the people captive from the northern kingdom. They took them right out of the land of Israel. There were some that were still there, though, that were left. And then the Assyrians, they sent some of their people back to this place that they had taken captive, right? And some of their people then intermarried with the small number of Jews that were still living in the land. Thus, we have Samaritans. These Samaritans, though, by the Jews, they were excluded. They were discriminated against. So much, in fact, that the Samaritans, they actually built their own temple on a place called Mount Gerizim. We're going to see that in the later part of this chapter. You know, uh, where are we supposed to worship? Because they were referring to, you know, the Jews worshipped, of course, in Jerusalem, up on the mountain there, and the Temple Mount, and, and the, the Samaritans, they were worshipping somewhere else. So we'll get to that. But why did most Jews go around, really, because of prejudice? Because of discrimination, because of hatred? That's really what it was. But not Jesus. 
not Jesus. It said that he had to go through Samaria. Now, did he have to go through because of, because of that was the most direct route? No, I don't think so. He had to, for I think there are a bunch of reasons, but I think he had to because he, he, he had a heart for all people. He didn't hate anybody. He, he loved all. There was not a, you know, a bone in his body that, you know, had some kind of discrimination and prejudice. But I think, specifically, though, I think he had a, he had a divine appointment. He had to go that way. He, there was something that he had to do. He had to go there and he had to meet with this woman in this little town by a well out in the middle of nowhere. He had an appointment with a specific person. That's kind of radical. It tells us a lot of different things. It tells us, one, that Jesus cares about individuals. It tells us that you and I as individuals, we have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ for ourselves. We can't go in a group. It's a personal thing. That's why, you know, we, we ask the question, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That means one-on-one. That means have you in, had an encounter? Have you met Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Have, have you, have you uh, experienced the life of Jesus in your own life, in your own heart? So he goes there, it said, we read it there, and, and there was a well there. And what do you find in wells? Okay, I'm not going to say it. But notice this, it says that Jesus was tired from the journey. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute here. You just got through telling us uh, in the beginning here that, that Jesus was God, that he came down from heaven. So... Does God get tired? Well, whoa, what are, what are you talking about now? Well, see, he was definitely fully God, but he was also fully man. You notice him called many times, and he even used those words, the son of man. He called himself the son of man. I found this verse in Hebrews, and I, I want to put it on the screen for you. It says, therefore... In all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that means people, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid or to help those who are tempted. So Jesus came and and. You know, this is an important thing, and now we're talking, we're, we just had Christmas, we're talking about this, he came down from heaven, but, but he had to have this human body, he had to become fully human, why? Uh, th- these verses on the screen talk about the reasons why. It says that he had to, that in order that he might become a, fa- a merciful and a faithful high priest, in other, words, in other words, that he might be able to represent to us. But notice it also says that, it, that he might make atonement or propitiation for the sins of the people. That he might die for us. That he might be a sacrifice to pay the price of a human being, of us human beings, the human race, because he came as a human being. He had to. 
He didn't come just as a, an apparition or some kind of a, a vision. He, was, he had to become just like us. But thirdly, notice what it says there at the bottom. It says that, that he himself suffered. He himself was tempted. And he is able to help those who are being tempted, those who suffer. He, he came, he was here, he, he could relate to you. And I, you know, you can't say to Jesus, don't ever say this. Don't ever say this. Jesus, you don't understand. Jesus, you can't relate because he can. He was here. He knows what life is like. Well, yeah, uh, he, he doesn't, you know, he didn't live in, you know, our, you know, advanced society. You know how advanced we are. We can't even solve any of the problems we've had, you know, all these, you know, thousands of years. We can't seem to solve the most simple problems. But he was here and he faced these things. He was tempted like we are in all ways, yet without sin, the Bible says. Let's make that clear. He was like us, but he did not have a sin nature, and he did not sin. He never sinned once. He was a perfect, complete sacrifice. One more thing on that. If he had sinned and he did die, who was he dying for? He would have had to die for himself, but he didn't. So he was able to die for us, for you and for me. But he understands and he can help you. It says that he prays for you, he prays for me. That's incredible, that's awesome. So, he's tired now. He sat down by the well. Jesus got tired and he knows what it's like to be tired, and maybe some of you are tired today. You know, I don't know about you, but after those few Christmas straight, few Christmas, after those few Christmas days, I was like exhausted, like for days. You know, I'm just like, man, I got to take another nap. I, I'm so, I'm falling asleep. You know. But Jesus, he, he made this journey, and, and it was probably, we don't know how long it took, but maybe it was a couple of days. Again, they didn't have cars, you know, and it, it, you know, it was a journey. Let's say it was a couple of days, and he was tired. He sat down by the well. He understands what it's like to be tired. He sat down, sat down by this well. Verse 7, look what it says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw... Thank you. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, this is the picture here that, that we see. There's a, there's a lot of problems here. There's a lot of, you know... People don't get along, and, and is that any different from the world that we live in today? All the, the hatred, the, you know, the discrimination, prejudice. But Jesus took the time out to talk to this woman, even though he was tired. He took the time. Truthfully, there were some, there were some issues here as far as the Jews and religious Jews especially in this situation. First of all, a religious Jew would never in public talk to a woman. They just wouldn't. Right. Even if it was their own wife, 
or their own daughter, they wouldn't do it. They just, you know, oh. and, and there was a group of, there was a group, they called them, what was the name? I, I should have wrote it down, like the bruised and bleeding something or something like that. It says, because whenever they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and they would run into things. And there would always be, you know, bruised and bleeding. Like, so that's one thing. The, the, the second, as I've already mentioned, is, is that she was a Samaritan. So for a good Jew, uh, uh, especially a religious Jew, you just never would do that. And then thirdly is, is she was kind of a woman of questionable character. We're not going to get into that much this week. Next week we will. But she, she had some, definitely had some moral issues. And so for Jesus now, this is the Son of God, the spiritual leader, really the one who, who all things are, are given into his hands. Now he's taking the time out to talk to, though he's tired, talk to this woman, the Samaritan woman, the woman that like, you know, the people in the town... Not sure about that person. Does that, what does that tell us about Jesus? You know? He totally cares. So, so he, he, he opens the dialogue. He starts the, the conversation. He didn't wait for her to do it, because she would not have done it, most likely, although it's possible she could have. He starts the dialogue. With something that everyone understood. Will you, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Sometimes you just have to start a dialogue with people, right? People use these, uh, uh, this passage you know, as, a, as a model for evangelism. Well, how do you talk to people and stuff? Well, sometimes you just have to ask simple questions. He actually talked about something that was one of his own needs, Will you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. I'm tired. Sometimes we can come across as like, well, I'm a Christian and I, you know, I'm, I'm way better than you. Now, Jesus was way better, obviously. But he asks her the question. He starts a dialogue. And as we'll see, he goes from physical water, earthly water, to spiritual water, to living water. Look at verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Let's look at verse 10. I don't know if I'm going to make it through here. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living. Thank you. He would have given it to you. So, so Jesus, again, he just starts this simple dialogue with her. And she says, you know, how, you know you, what are you doing? Like, who, why are you talking to me? What do you want? And he says, listen, if you only knew, if you only knew, there's some things that you need to know. And of course, he's going, he's going to explain some of them. He's not going to you know, go into a lot of detail, but, but he, he's saying, you know, there are things you need to know. And, and the first thing is that there's a gift that God wants to give to you. That God wants to give each and every one of us a gift. We saw it back in chapter 3. What is it? 
For God so loved the world that he gave, right, his only begotten son. What is the gift of God? The, the gift of God, yeah, it's, it's the living water. Sorry, I didn't mean to. But more importantly, it's the Son of God himself, Jesus himself. Because he goes on to say that. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. So, so the gift of God really is, is Jesus himself, his only, the only begotten Son the Father sent for you and I. So to know about who Jesus is. That's what the Gospel of John has been telling us from very beginning all the way to the end about who Jesus is. Because as I've been saying all along is that it, it all gets back to Jesus for you and I and the human race. Now there are some churches you could go to that call themselves churches but never would even mention the name of Jesus. That's kind of scary. But it's true and it happens. We'll talk about a lot of things. We'll talk about social things. We'll talk about, you know, helping people, and it's all good. That's good to help people. But if you never get to the idea of, of the, the greatest need that you and I have, which is Jesus Christ, there's a problem. If you knew, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, if you knew Jesus, if you knew who he is, and what he can do for you. If you only know about Jesus Christ, your life can be changed. Your life can be changed. That's the truth. That is the total truth. It says that if you, if you knew that, you would ask him. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living if you knew, you'd know where to go. You'd know where to go to get that thirst quenched. You see, there is a, as I said, natural water or physical water, whatever you want to call it. But there is also this living water. There's a deeper thirst, right? There's, there's something within us. And where do we go to, to quench that thirst? He said you would ask him and he would give it to you. He would give you. You see, the thing is, we can't quench it with, with earthly things. We can't. But we try. Did you ever try? Yep. You know, when you, when, the, the thing about, the thing about, I'll just take a drink first. The thing about water is if you're very, very thirsty, you a lot of times you will eat to try to quench that thirst, right? When what you really need is to drink. I find that true. And you just like eat and eat and you're still thirsty. Why? Because you need water. You don't necessarily need that food. You might be hungry too, but we can't, we can't quench it though and with, with earthly things. One person said this, all that earth can provide is not sufficient to fill the human heart. All that this earth has, all that this world and the worldly system around us that, that tells us we're bombarded by, by media of all different kinds telling you that if you had this, you would be satisfied. 
This would, would meet that thirst that you have within us. It's over and over. You know, this product, that product, this relationship, that relationship, these, all these things that, that you need. And when you get them, you will be so satisfied. Any thirst you have will be quenched. And so what happens is you go down to the dealership, right? You sign up for a $45,000 vehicle that you cannot afford. You take it home, and I hope none of you did this in the last couple days. <laughs> you take it home, and it's in your driveway, and it looks really good out there. But has it made you satisfied? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy new vehicles. We, we need vehicles, right? We need to drive. We need to get around. But the things of this earth cannot satisfy that deeper thirst that we have. It just can't. David Guzik said this. He said, it's common for people to try and satisfy their God-created inner thirst through many things. People are thirsty. They want they long, they search. But only what Jesus gives satisfies to the deepest levels of man's soul and spirit. That is so true. That is so, so true. People searching, and, 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 and you even try to tell them sometimes, tell people, listen, it's Jesus. What you need is Jesus. And they say, well, yeah, but, I, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm going after this. I want this. I need that. No, Jesus can't do a thing for me. We've got to be careful, don't we? Even as believers, we need to be careful that we're not trying to be satisfied. Psalm 90, we, we, you know, we, we sing that line, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That's where true satisfaction comes from. Having a relationship with Jesus and, and spending that time and, and allowing him to pour his love into our hearts. That is where I am going to be satisfied. It's not getting one more thing. There's a, a passage, this is, this is true, you know, for all time. Jeremiah talked about, he says, Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people, notice he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of what? And they have dug their own cisterns. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold my people, notice he said that. My people have committed, you know, it's not just the people who do not have a relationship with Jesus, it's you and I as well. The people of God, you know, they, they committed these sins. Number one was they, they went away from the Lord. And you and I can like leave him out of our lives and, and go away and do our thing. It's not good, it's not healthy, it's not right. And God's saying, you know, where, where'd you go? Did, who moved? Right? It, it's not him. He's right there. He's, he never leave us, never forsake us. It's you and I. We put our focus on so many other things. But notice that too. He says that they, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold. You know what? We do that. 
We do that. We, we try to find other ways where we get creative to try to, to try to find some kind of happiness, some kind of joy, some kind of satisfaction, some kind of peace within. And, and, and they, can't, they, don't, they don't hold. They don't work. They're full of holes. But not what Jesus offers. Now, did the woman understand? No, not yet. Not yet, anyways. Let's, let's read on. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? This woman, she didn't understand. She wasn't quite getting it. And again, the spiritual understanding, the spiritual eyes have to be open. And Jesus, in the end, we'll see as we get through the rest of this chapter, Jesus kind of opens her eyes and she sees. She's still back at the H2O though, right? I can say that. You know, basically, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a bucket and the well is deep. They, they believe they have found this well and they, in the land of Israel and they believe uh, that it's the same one. And, and if it is the same one, it's over 100 feet deep. It's like 135 feet deep. That's a long, long way down. You don't even have a bucket. And, and like, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? Like, she didn't have a clue. Again, Jesus said, if you only knew who it is that's asking you for a drink. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Again, they, they were looking back to their relationship to Jacob, who also called Israel. She was kind of missing it. She didn't quite understand, obviously. And, and you and I, you know, we're like that often, right? We miss the point. We get sidetracked off what the real need is. What is the real need in our lives? It's, it's more of Jesus. It's more of him in our lives. Say, yeah, okay, but, you know, I still have to live my life. I still have to do what I need to do. I have to go to work. I have to, you know, uh, fix stuff. I have to do the dishes. I have to do all this stuff. Yeah, but, but can you have Jesus even in the middle of all those things? You can. There was a little booklet that was written many years ago called The Practice of the Presence of God. How many of you have ever heard of it or read it? You know, it's basically a guy who was who 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 tried to tried to to have this relationship all throughout his day, his life, the practice of the presence of God, knowing that Jesus and and aware of Jesus, and it, and it changed his life. Verse thirteen, Jesus answered, "Everyone who drinks this will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the." that I will give him, will never thirst. The, the water is always there. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Boy, that verse, man, I can't fill this up here. That verse. Uh, I'm, I'm almost at two glasses. I'm almost at my limit today, right? My, my regular limit. I'm almost there. I got a whole rest of the day to, to kind of beef up, right? 
Jesus answered, I'm going to take a break from this. He said, this is living water. The water that I give is not like just this water that you can get out of the well. He's saying there's something different. It's not just the water in the well. You're going to drink that, but you're going to be thirsty again. It's not just the stuff in this world, in this life. You're, you, 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 you can take those things, and, 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 but they're not going to satisfy you. You're going to need more, but the water that he gives. And whoever drinks it, he says, will never thirst. In other words, it, it's going to be within you. And, and he says that there. He says it's going to, it's going to be in him a spring. We were singing about it this morning, and I went back with the kids, and I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this. I went back with the kids, and, and, and they said, well, we're going to show, we're going to do this song. They did this song. They just happened to pick it as well. I don't know how. But we're going to show how it's really supposed to be like. And, you know, I went back there, and then it was just a lot of fun. They were, like, totally get into it. And it was like, you get down, and, and it's hard for me to get down because then you have to get back up. Uh, you know, to spring up, oh well. And it, the, the concept is this, that, that what Jesus does is so deep within us and, that, it, and that, that this water can come springing up within us. That's incredible, the water that, that he gives. Someone said this, that literally the words for springing up are literally leaping up. Or it says here, welling up. It's literally leaping up. So, so there's a spring, and, and when we have Jesus in our lives and hearts, it, it's like that, that it's there. That it doesn't mean that we're never going to have this thirst. It means, the truth is, we always have the thirst. But the, the water, the well, the spring is right there within us because Jesus himself is within us. If we will look to him. Does that make sense? In other words, you don't have to keep getting saved every five minutes. In other words, you have Jesus in your life and he'll never leave you. But, but are you looking to him? Or am I looking to him to, to be satisfied to drink? Talk about a well that's deep. That's a deep well there. To whoever drinks. To whoever drinks. Whoever, whoever takes it in. The water is there if you will, I will drink. Whether we've never drank before and, and it's there for us, Jesus is right there. Or, or we, we have received him, we've believed in him, we have now this spring within us leaping up. If we'll, if we'll take it in, if we'll drink, if we'll look to him. It says in Isaiah 55, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You, have, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He says, come, come to me, all you are thirsty, because we can go to a lot of things and they're not going to satisfy. They are not going to satisfy. I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. You all know where that is? The book of Revelation, we're going to close 
in the book of Revelation, in the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, which is the very last chapter of the Bible, right? I already mentioned to you what, how the Bible starts off in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. At the very end of the book now, we also see this picture and, 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 and this idea, this concept Let's start in the first two verses of Revelation chapter uh, 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the, the tree of life, bearing Twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. He goes on to talk about some of the things that we're going to see in heaven, right? And around the throne of, throne of God. But notice this, he says, flowing right from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This river of the water of life is as clear as crystal. That's beautiful, isn't it? We talked in the beginning of this uh, study about Jesus, you know, that he, that he came and, and that he talked to us. He could testify about what he saw and what he heard. He, what did he see in here? Right here in the throne, the, the, the river of the water of life. And, and, and now Jesus and John, the Gospel of John, he's talking about it himself. That you and I can have it. Well, let's jump down to the very last verses here. Starting in verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Is that powerful? It's an invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation to you and to me. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. You and I come. Whoever hears, come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. It's for you and for me, that, that water that will satisfy us to the very deepest core of who we are as human beings. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of God, your, your son Jesus Christ who came to this earth to tell us what heaven's like, to give us hope and to give us help and to stand as our great high priest who would then actually take upon himself our sin and pay the price for our sin the one who knows what it's like to, to be in this world and, and the things that this world uh, uh, sends our way that, that try to tear us down, that also try to deceive us and to, to tell us that it will satisfy, that it will bring us hope and help. 
but we know because Jesus, you told us that the truth is found in you. True satisfaction comes from you. So we come and we turn our eyes, our hearts to you this morning, Lord. We're thirsty for more of you. We need more of you in our lives. We, we know that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We've get, you've given us a spring, a well, springing up. But yet we need to turn to you to drink. We turn to you today, Lord. Turn our eyes, our hearts to you.